What is going on, people? Welcome to another episode of Daniel's Den. I am your host, uh, Daniel Pasley. You know, just wanted to touch base on, uh, you know, the doubleheader that um, we saw last night between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Toronto Raptors, and then that was followed by the uh, the two number one picks in terms of the two best, uh, not you know, two highly touted, most highly touted um, number one picks of the past twenty five years. You know whether Zion lives up to the expectations. It remains to be seen, but, you know, early he has been a a monster. I think that was his ninth straight game of uh, 20-plus points. So we'll we'll dive into those two games as we go along. What's up, Doc? So, starting with the Raptors game, you know, this is a game early. I obviously had to tape it. I had said that I had to uh, step out during the time of the game. I recorded it. Uh, watched the first bit of the first quarter, and you know, today I decided to watch the rest of the game, and obviously taken, I you know I couldn't let you guys down in terms of just uh, rambling based on the box score, but you know early, both teams seemed to take a while to settle in. Uh, didn't really shoot the ball well from the field. I think part of it was a feeling out um, of terms of matchups. Um, Milwaukee was on the second half of back to back which to me I thought Toronto would have an opportunity to take advantage of, but early they didn't, of course, just because their starters seemed to struggle early, and this was a theme throughout the game. You know, obviously, with Milwaukee playing a back-to-back, you'd think you'd want to try to put a lot of wear and tear on them in terms of getting transition, maybe playing up in the passing lanes a, a little bit more aggressively, but I, I just didn't see that from Toronto. I think... um Milwaukee did do a good job in terms of uh, limiting transition baskets. Uh, Toronto had, you know, they they had forced a lot of turnovers. Um, they forced 13 from Milwaukee, but didn't really, uh, a lot of them were in very dead ball situations where a guy would dribble off his foot, go out of bounds, or maybe a pass let out of bounds. So, you know, if you're Milwaukee, you live with that. I think if you're not turning the ball over, leading to, you know, transition baskets, kind of making a pass that gets deflected and is in play, that that plays a key role. And early, I thought Milwaukee, you know, settled down. They 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 handled the run from Toronto. Boucher was big. Matt Thomas came in as well, had some threes. The Toronto used, uh, you know, pretty – they did a good job in terms of getting Thomas involved in some pin-down action early in the shot clock. He had a few threes, or, uh, to be exact, he hit um, – he did come out and hit three threes, obviously three of five from three. That was pretty much his all of his shots from uh, the field. Didn't really do much, obviously. Didn't get really chan- a chance to do much. Came in in the third quarter, missed both of his threes, which uh, to me was big. Uh, but I'll go into that as we uh, go along in this podcast. Um, and obviously the starters outside of Pascal, just no, just a lot of no-shows. Um, I think it was just an off night for... Guys like um, Ibaka, obviously, and Anobi did shoot 50%, but he's not a guy who's uh, featured much in the offense. So a guy like that, you kind of expect that from. I know he does shoot at about that clip on the year. And um, Lowry as well, I thought he, especially late, he, he seemed to force the issue in terms of trying to get things going, trying to get a few calls here and there. And I think, you know, that's what happens on a bad night. I, you know, when you're, especially with the way they defended Milwaukee, I thought they did a good job. But at the same time, I think 
Nick Nurse didn't pull all the tricks out of his hat just because, you know, it's a regular season game. I think he he envisions a matchup down the road with these guys. Obviously, they've, they haven't played each other for the full season series, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, teams in the East usually play each other at least three times, uh, depending on how the schedule is drawn out. But, you know, looking at the box score, Giannis had a near triple-double, finishing with 19 points, 19 rebounds, and eight assists, shooting you know, 5 of 14 from the floor, which isn't good. But to me, I feel like he, he still had an imprint of the game. He had three blocks. He takes up a lot of space. And I see why people sometimes think he he's in the conversation for the best two-way player in the league just because he does so much. He, he has such long strides, long arms. He's He doesn't take plays off. So you can never fall asleep with him um, on defense. He rarely does. And obviously, Chris Middleton carried... Carried uh, Milwaukee once again in terms of the scoring load. Uh, the game before he had 40 points in the overtime thriller against Washington, came back with 22 points. And I thought early he he didn't really – he seemed like he was uh, – maybe maybe he was trying to get into the game, but he hit some timely baskets late. And I feel like Toronto did do a good job on him. I, I kind of don't like some of the calls he was getting in terms of the lean-in three, which is, is called pretty often for those that – you know, I've watched the game over, I would say, the past 15 years. That's become a more common thing. And, um, yeah, I, I, I liked how Milwaukee seemed to defend Pascal. I know Pascal, I had mentioned, did if you're looking at raw stats, 22-6-3 on about 44% from the floor, 5 of 9 from 3. You look at that and you're like, okay, he played well. But I feel like oh, the big bulk of his turnovers – you know, he or pretty much all of them, except for I think he had one where he had a post up where he fell in the ball. He threw out of bounds his initial turnover, but I feel like he he again his his very questionable decision making in in terms of the the reads he makes kind of cost him a lot. I feel because of the lack of shooting going on in Toronto, I think daring guys like Ibaka to shoot the the stretch three and um, you know. He does hit. He does hit at a good rate, but I feel like Milwaukee did feel that they would live with Ibaka hitting shots. And to me, the the ten three attempts is concerning to me, just because I just think that's too much for a guy like um, Serge, especially because he he went to a fifteen from the floor. And going back to my Pascal point, there was no real driving lanes in a lot of the offensive sets, especially when I feel like he would try to attack downhill from. The, the wings, but if you look at the way Milwaukee was playing, and I mentioned this, Milwaukee's very, they're vulnerable to giving up the three. You know, they're 19th in terms of defending the three. And because of the lack of uh, turnovers in terms of leading to fast break points, I think they did a good job neutralizing Toronto in the half court. Because if you look at the way they, they, they fill the gaps, kind of stunt and go very aggressively, Toronto was getting some good looks, but at the same time, I think Milwaukee did this by scheme. I think they 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 were willing to give up the threes that they gave up towards Ibaka, and I think some of Serge's shots, of course, on a regular night, he's been a monster this year. And I think this game kind of embodies, you know, some of the worries I do have about Toronto. I know Gasol and Powell are, you know, pretty much been in out the lineup. You know, they both had have had some rough goals in terms of the injury luck. But to me, I think the concerning thing is having that other shooter. I thought Matt Thomas did well early, but at the same time, I do think that 
you know, Toronto, see, they need to find another source of three-point shooting. I, I think their bench was real good, obviously, as I would mentioned. You know, Terrence Davis, he, he didn't really get much going until the fourth quarter when they made that little run or, and a part of that, uh, excuse me, late third where they cut the lead down. But if you looked at Milwaukee, I feel like on, on the flip side of things, Milwaukee's bench did do a good job, and especially when they made that run in the third quarter, which I think where this game was pretty much lost because you look at the stats, Milwaukee outscored Toronto 34-19, to but Milwaukee did get a good – they did bunch together a bunch of their threes, uh, so even though they, if you look at the box score, you say, oh, they went 14-42, and obviously shooting 43s is a norm, and looking at the percentage, that's 33%. That's pretty below average. They shoot at a higher clip than that, but you look at their team – Especially when they went to the two-guard lineup, I thought Toronto had a tough time kind of con- containing Bledsoe and George Hill, which is, especially with Bledsoe, as much as he is a guy that a lot of people feel he underachieves, he's still an explosive player. I think he did a good job of kind of wreaking havoc, getting downhill, especially going baseline, creating that uh, that drift pass, letting the guy from the 45 fall along the corner, and guys like Marvin Williams hitting threes. I know they were timely threes. I know he had he had three of he went three of six from three, and it seemed like he was hitting them one after the other after the other. And that pretty much to me that I think that set up the game in terms of having Toronto having to play from behind, especially because Milwaukee was confident. Cause if you look at the game plan, you you look at the starters, you say, Hey, we um outside of you know Siakam and Ananobi. And and that um, of course Ananobi, as I said before, is not really a primary threat. You know, you hold guys in the 30s and below in terms of Fred, Ibaka, and Lowry. You you can live with that any time of the week, especially any time of day, because especially with um, how Toronto, you know, their bench did do a good job in terms of fighting back. Guys did have some type of impact. You know, maybe Thomas Davis uh, could have got going a bit sooner. But their bench did their job. And I think if you're Milwaukee, I think you look at the box score and you say, hey, we, we got a good production out of George Hill, DiVincenzo. He he had a lot. I feel like he had a lot of their rebounds, especially on offense, um, playing guys like Marvin Williams, as I said. Uh, Robin Lopez, I thought, would have a bigger role. He only had three points, um, one of four from the floor. But to me, I think the biggest thing in this game is as as bad as both sides stars were in terms of shooting from the floor outside of uh, Middleton and uh, Pascal, the thing to me is, despite Giannis's numbers, I think he just still impacted the game. If you And I mentioned this in the last podcast. I thought he was doing a good job finding guys in their shooting pockets, finding guys de- streaking down in the transition and the, the, the defensive end. He was doing enough to keep his team in the game and obviously having you know, timely threes. I think that that helps, especially when teams are zoning in on him. I think Milwaukee did a good job balancing, keeping him off the ball. So Toronto didn't have a, a chance to fill the gaps. And again, another game where he shoots two of four from, from three and he, he was real effective from the line. But all in all, I think this was a pretty entertaining game, you know, real disappointing for Raptors fans. I think a lot of people felt you know, some calls here and there and obviously some some, uh, made shots. You know, it's a different ball game. I think there is a sense of optimism 
from Toronto just because you've had two games where you've lost by about 10 points and you haven't played your best game. But at the same time, I think it is alarming in terms of, you know, who's going to be that guy to step up. I think the first game I, I said Lowry was good, but outside of uh, him, I think Fred was the only guy that did something, but Pascal was questionable. And even, as I said before, containing Pascal, I think he had, he had buckets here and there, but he didn't, Nobody stood out to me for Toronto on offense um, outside of, you know, maybe the stretch from Boucher and uh, Mr. Thomas from the EuroLeague that they, they got, you know, a good acquisition. But at the same time, how sustainable is that? So if you got if you're Toronto, you got to look at it as, you know, maybe we got Norman Powell coming back eventually and we got Marcus Gasol and fully loaded. We can push this uh, Milwaukee team to, uh, you know, pretty good series. And in terms of, you know, finishing off, I think it would do a lot, you know, having a, a win under their belt, especially for the young guys. So, you know, we're going to move on to the Lakers and uh, New Orleans game. So with the uh, the mega matchup in terms of the uh, number one picks, you know, two guys that, you know, outside of Shaq, I think Zion and LeBron are two very unique uh, superstars in terms of, Obviously, a guy like Zion going to Duke, being a guy who's about 6'6", 285 pounds, you know, with a 45-inch vertical or whatever they say. And, you know, you don't really see a lot of guys move like that. And obviously, the LeBron comparisons do come, you know, because obviously LeBron is a guy a bit taller. And obviously, when he came into the league at 240 pounds and eventually reportedly getting up to 270 pounds, you know, we haven't seen guys do the things that they do in such a such a unique unique way. So, um, yeah, just moving on to the game itself. You know, it was a real entertaining game. Um, New Orleans early, I feel, especially because I had mentioned LA's lack of, uh, you know, uh, lack of strength in terms of transition defense, just because they love to crash. You know, looking at the box score, they did out rebound the. Uh, Pelicans on the uh, glass as a whole, 50 to 67, 50, 67, 60 to 57, excuse me. But if you look at the offensive rebounds, it was 14 for LA and then six for the Pelicans. And the actually looking at the defensive rebounds, you know, the Pelicans actually did a great job with that because they actually out-rebounded them on the defensive end, you know, keeping possessions at, at a minimum, but at the same time, I think obviously with the size of McGee and Davis and LeBron, and obviously when they go to their bench with Howard, you know, Kuzma's not really a strong guy, but he does have long arms, so he can uh, wreak havoc. And he has shown uh, glimpses of having games where he can grab double digit rebounds. So, especially with New Orleans having as outside of favors, they don't really have much size. I know Zion is a big body, but in terms of height, he's not really the biggest guy. So I think this did play a factor in the game. But let's move on to the game itself. Um, New Orleans came out. I, I thought they came out with urgency. They they, they are a very up-tempo team, and I thought that would make for a good matchup, as I said before, just because, you know, they, they're really up there in pace. They love to push the tempo, love to run, especially with young guys, young legs. A guy like Lonzo, obviously, being aware of throwing the outlet pass to get guys early seals, especially with 
Zion, as I'll go uh, forward with that, I'll kind of explain why I think, you know, those two together is such a good uh, complementary uh, piece, especially for the way uh, Gentry loves to play. And, um, you know, moving on to the Lakers, LeBron looked like he was in his uh, youth in terms of uh, the explosiveness he had. You know, he's been he's been a monster all year. I know the turnovers, you know, a lot of them were kind of him trying to pretty much force the issue. I feel like he's trying to pass through some tight windows. And I think New Orleans did a good job in terms of staying in the gaps, obviously, because L.A. does have some questionable shooting at times. You can kind of play off of certain guys outside of maybe Danny Green and KCP. But, you know, outside of that, L.A. does have uh, some questionable uh, spot up shooters. But um, to me, I feel like New Orleans did a great job, um, especially the pick and roll. Brandon Ingram was a monster, 34.7 rebounds, four assists. That guy's a he's a smooth criminal, man. I think he's a guy in L.A. We saw it early. He was a guy that didn't really I feel early. He was a point guard, got to handle the ball. And obviously with LeBron, he didn't really get to drive as much as, you know, I think he could have. Maybe some of it was Luke Walton. You know, some of it was the adjustment period. but. I feel like he was kind of a guy that some people had slept on. Obviously, he got some uh, shoulder issues last year, but he seems to be rebounding well and looking at Zion, him early. The thing I liked about what I saw from this New Orleans team is the fact that Zion seems to have the urgency to get down the floor. And I think that's this, the best aspect of his game is he recognizes – Especially in the NBA, if you watch, especially with the way LA crashes, they send three very big guys to the floor. But with that being said, due to their guards playing safeties, Zion, I feel like he picks up on this. He has pretty good IQ. He he seems to seal early, and I think that's some something that's become a lost art sometimes, especially because a lot of people kind of look at centers and big men as guys who just run down the floor and get open dunks. But Zion's willing to get down the floor you know, getting to the line. He had 19 free throw attempts in this game. So I think that really did a good job in terms of keeping him in rhythm with the game and alerting LA to, you know, we, we actually got to pick up this guy and maybe send a third guy back as we go throughout the game. Cause obviously you can't live with uh, him getting easy baskets, but uh, moving on to the Lakers, I think, you know, the presence of LeBron, they tried drew holiday on him for the most part. And I just thought, you know, he had a field day, man. Uh, Drew Holiday's a very good two-way player. I was intrigued in terms of seeing how he'd match up. And to, I guess LeBron must have heard me talking, but he seemed very aggressive in the post, seemed to go to it a, a lot, a lot of the time. And I feel like if that's a big bulk of his diet, you know, Lakers are pretty hard to defend, especially because I feel he was, he's clearly their best post-up player, I think. You know, we saw in this game that when he is a guy that puts his head down and wants to attack the rim, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, get in his way and play a, play a role in terms of uh, factoring in, you know, blocking a shot. But moving on to the rest of the guys, you know, Anthony Davis had 24 points, sorry, 21 points, 14 rebounds, three assists, and was a monster on the defensive end in terms of blocks. But the concern with me in terms of this was I feel like, you know, as the game went along, I thought L.A. did a good job, you know, weathering the storm in terms of New Orleans finding ways to get open threes and Zion's ability to run the floor was creating dunks. 
and I'll, and I'll kind of go in in terms of why he was getting those dunks. But uh, for me, um, I feel like AD, this was a back-to-back game. Not a back-to-back game, but this is a second straight game in terms of, you know, he doesn't shoot well from the floor. And I, I think it's a bit concerning for me, especially because a lot of teams are helping off um, helping off the shooters. I know Danny Green and KCP were good for them from three and LeBron, but outside of that, they didn't really get much production from downtown. And I think because of that, you know, AD has to drive in, in, in traffic. And I feel like he doesn't really finish. He hasn't been finishing over guys. And a, a lot of times you can, you can kind of get into his space. You can bump him. You can throw off his balance. And I feel like a lot of the shots he took during the game, you know, some people may say, oh, he got locked up. But I think a lot of it had to do with his lack of lift. I'm not sure if he, if he was dealing with injury. But at the same time, I think it's very easy to knock him off his spots. I think that's something maybe he has to work on in terms of with the training staff or even with the, the coaching staff, like on the court. Because I think a lot of the baskets that he had were m- very makeable. But I think in terms of taking contact and actually creating space after he takes contact as opposed to when he observes the contact, he's off balance. I think what it has to be is he's got to absorb the contact and play through it, you know, turn his shoulders to the rim, uh, finish strong with either hand. I think he has the ability to do that. And I think it's something minor that, you know, he has to work on and hopefully going further, he'll, he'll be fine with that. But I think the play of Danny Green was big, five of nine from three. Um, open up the floor for LeBron. I think that's really what played a role in terms of New Orleans not willing, not being willing to double as the game went on, which I thought was a bit concerning for me just because I think they were a bit too passive in terms of their lack of doubles just because I know Danny Green is a guy that, you know, has hit threes, but I think you can't let LeBron play one-on-one, take six, seven dribbles, get get to the front of the rim, you know, and, and he was just doing that time after time after time. And on the pick and roll, you saw a lot of times, you know, they were playing real soft on the middle pick and roll, allowing for um, LeBron to pretty much walk into some threes. And especially when he's hitting, I know a lot of people try to say he's not a good shooter, but, you know, career-wise, he's around 34 35%, which is very respectable. You know, it's it's not above average, but it's a, it's a percentage where it's like, okay, we have to actually guard him. We have to get a hand up. And especially since his youth years, um, Especially his first couple of years, a lot of people try to back off his jumper. But as you go along in his career, his jumper has been a consistent thing. And um, just look, going to the bench, the use of Caruso was something that I was looking for. Especially because, you know, Rondo's, I feel like Frank Vogel hasn't figured it out yet. I Maybe it's game to game thing for him. But I liked how he didn't go to Rondo in large stretches. I feel like L.A. did struggle when... He was in the game, especially during that third quarter run where New Orleans, you know, they played, they ended up winning the quarter. It was 28-24, but if you look at the game itself, I feel like L.A. couldn't generate any offense. Once again, you have A.D. surrounded by some guys who aren't really willing shooters. You know, KCP is a willing shooter, but, you know, Caruso, he only took one three. I think he's got to be a bit more aggressive in that sense because I think he can he shoots a good percentage, one. And two, I think he has the ability to, you know, be a headache for some teams, especially if he's going to be a guy playing alongside LeBron. He's going to have to take those shots. And, you know, I know uh, the signing of Markeith Morris was something that people talked about. He wasn't really a factor. Maybe it was uh, 
him, you know, adjusting to being in LA, but he is shooting 39% in threes from three. So I'm kind of intrigued to see how that plays out. Excuse me. But, um, you know, I thought the use of Caruso was big just because I think he's not the best on ball defender, but a thing he does other than Rondo, he doesn't really gamble. I feel like he plays very good position defense. He's always in the right spots. He had two steals. He had that big block on Lonzo and he was a plus 20. So, you know, he had an impact every time he's on the floor. You know, obviously being alongside guys who I know people are going to be like, oh, he's playing with LeBron. He's playing with AD. Of course, he's going to look good. But the thing is, I feel with Caruso is I think he's a very good passer. I think on offense, he has shown some growth finishing at the basket. And, you know, that's something something he had kind of struggled with in in his first couple of years. He kind of showed a, a... kind of a lack of finishing ability, but I feel like he's, he has worked on it. He has worked on his body, but you know, going back to new Orleans, um, Zion was 13 and 19 from the floor, which is something that sort of from the free throw line, which is something that I talked about earlier. But I think what stuck out for me with new Orleans was their lack of shooting. I think they did take advantage of it early, but I, I was kind of, I was kind of iffy about, how they were using Reddick. I I know that um, the presence of Reddick, especially because if you look at the film, they would keep Reddick on the strong side corner and then go middle pick and roll. So for those of you that, you know, know basketball or have played, um, going for with a middle pick and roll, the guy on the corner on the, uh, the, the side that the ball starts on, if he's, if the ball is going away from that person, then that's their help responsibility. But with the play going away from Redick and that being your responsibility, for those of you that obviously know J.J. Redick, he's one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. Pretty elite scorer, can score in many ways. But, you know, I think the use of him in the strong in the strong side corner allowed for teams to, sorry, New Orleans to pretty much be like, hey, we, we have Reddick there. Are you willing to help? Because we'll slice and dice you, especially with a guy like Lonzo who's willing to pass. You know, that sets up Lonzo uh, in terms of getting guys involved. And the the urgency was Zion's roles. He, he was very aggressive. He would slip, you know, short roll it. And I think that's where L.A. was in a tough spot. And, you know, I think this was a case of giving up twos for threes just be, instead of threes just because um, – you, you can live with it, especially because if if Reddick looking at the box score, he was three of three from the free throw line, had five rebounds, four assists, three points, but he didn't attempt a, th- attempt a three. And I thought the, the guys on L.A. did a great job. I saw KCP, Danny Green, Caruso, guys like that. They're really overplaying him. They're, they're face guarding him, shadowing him, which is a bit concerning from uh, New Orleans just because they did shoot 30% from three and – Outside of Ingram and Lonzo, they didn't really get much shooting, especially uh, with Melly and J- uh, Josh Hart. I think those are two guys that kind of have to have uh, some type of impact. I think they have to hit a couple threes, especially looking at the bench with Redick, even if he's off. I think if they're not around, let's say, six threes, um, you know, it's it's a tough game, especially because as a smaller team, you kind of want to take advantage of your lack of size. And of of course, with Derek Favors being in foul trouble, New Orleans did find themselves going smaller, which 
you know, allow for L.A. to take advantage of guys like Melly, a guy who maybe can't move his feet that well. And, you know, Jackson Hayes didn't see the floor. I know he's had his issues off the court in terms of people questioning his maturity. I'm not sure if Alvin Gertry maybe feels like he's not ready yet for some situations, but I think in New Orleans, they definitely need to address that. But once again, they're in that rebuilding process and they you never know what David Griffin's going to be up to. But the game as a whole is real good. Um, hope you guys all enjoy the, the back-to-back. You know, I think these are groups of teams that offer some entertaining basketball. Let me know what you guys think. Um, yeah, that's all I got for you guys. Enjoy. Hope you guys love it. Take care. That's all, folks.